one of the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of water. Rarely have we had an experience Today, like I it. I can't do nothing with a bitch-ass rain. Good. Raining all on my goddamn tits and shit. I didn't know it was gonna rain today. The weather people be wrong all the damn time. They try to say about the weather. God, why? Why, when I'm about to do something to help my stank fat life, you had to make it rain on my ugly ass? Boys and girls, buckos and buckets, welcome to uh, to Frothland. Or hold on, we haven't done this in a while. We used to do this all the time. Remember? You know, to to go to Frothland, you kind of have to do this. So we're going to uh, breathe in through our nose to the count of four. Hold to the count of six. And exhale through the mouth to the count of eight. Banana. All right, let's go to froth and guys. What though? What do we know? And then, and then, what are we not supposed to know? Not uh, supposed to know. Roar, you hear us? Roar, you roar, you hear us? Roar, you hear us? Roar, you roar, you hear us? 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 Your ticket there, uh, Bucko or Bucket, you know, Boy or Boy Set. Well, it boils down to it, you know, you're all just uh, we're all just brothers over here, you know, in Frostland. And, um, by the way, can you hear the rain? Maybe it stopped. It, it feels like it's been raining for days now, and I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of over it, you know. I still go for my runs and and stuff, but I don't know. I think I think the rain is, I think the rain is kind of getting to me these days. I used to love the rain. The you know, the sound of the rain on the roof or against the, uh, a window. Like I used to, uh, well, I still do sleep with my window open, you know. And uh, I, w I would open it uh, pretty wide. So uh, the rain, if it was raining, the rain would be hitting that glass, you know, tap, tap, tap. Or the sound of raindrops on the roof of a car. Remember how I used to go on these long road trips cross country with my mom, and that was kind of that was that was part of it, you know. Weather, it would rain. We'd we'd usually we'd go uh, we'd drive through these mountains, and. Uh, would just be in the back seat there with my, with this. Uh, I was uh, I was in charge of uh, a food and uh, and coffee, coffee. Yeah, so you know when the uh, when the, when the mother there, my mother, pretty much uh, when she uh, needed that caffeine. In fact, hold on. I kind of do. I kind of need that caffeine. I'll be right back, guys. I'm almost there, guys.
Okej, okay. ja. Yeah. I'm back. Thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd start recording again as I'm, you know, finishing up the coffee. Uh, yeah, I figured it would, you know, bring, bring you guys a little bit more into my space. Kind of like a, you know, kind of like a director's decision over here. Yeah, I was in the car with mom, right? Yeah, that, that's something we would do. I think it was mostly the summer, summertime. See, her father, my, my grandfather, he had, a, he had a farm on an island outside of uh, a city called Stavanger. And this island is, uh, <laughs> wow, it's changed now. It, it's, uh, it's changed, you know? It's not the same anymore, but in fact, now it's the, I think it's the place. It's not a city or town or anything. It's like a municipality. But I, if it's not the place, it's one of the places on earth with the, like the densest, uh, most plentiful area of Teslas. Because they made a tunnel that goes to Stavanger. And Stavanger, well, it's a city of, it's like the oil, the oil city, I think it's called. And, uh, you know, oil, oil people, a lot of them, can afford Teslas, you know? Because they, uh, they work with that black gold. And so, so yeah, it used to be more simple. It used to be just farms, you know, a couple of houses here and there, one grocery store, one gas station. I think maybe the only British petrol station or pump left in Norway was there when I was, you know, not 40, a lot less. And when we went there, we would go across the mountains. And when we got there or almost got there, we would have to take the ferry, you know, put the car on a boat. When you're a kid, that's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy thing to do, you know. Put the car on a boat. It's kind of cool. It's different. Yeah, and the boats would have, uh, we'd get some meals there. Sometimes, like, uh, local stuff that we didn't get much where we lived. So it was kind of special. And I knew I was going to see my grandfather there. Maybe his dog. He didn't run the farm as such, but he had like, uh, he kind of leased it to this guy who has the farm now. Last time I was there, I actually visited the farm and uh, yeah, I remember, I mean, I got to pet the lamb or something. Kind of cool. Anyways, we're in the car, right? Maybe that's where we're going to that island, you know? And the island is, um, I'm not big on, I'm not big on math or science or geography. Or, yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes I am. If there's a story or something special or a memory or something. In fact, years later, long after, you know, my grandfather died, I had this test. And uh, can't remember specifically, but something came up about uh, about the the Gulf Stream and climate and stuff. And then I remembered this island, you know. And uh, it's in the Gulf Stream. So even if it's Norway, 
I don't think, I can't even remember, maybe a couple of times, just a little bit of snow. But, you know, Christmas was green there. In Norway, can you believe that? Just right there in Norway. A lot of you probably think we got polar bears in the streets, you know, but we, uh, we don't. Not here. Not on the mainland. That's another island. It's another story, I guess. But yeah, the Gulf Stream keeps it, you know, not that cold. So sometimes it would even rain for Christmas. Christmas is about, you know, it's just a couple of days away and yeah, it's raining over here. I don't know. But back in the car again, on the mountain there, or wherever, wherever we were in that car, you know, I would be in charge of the of the food and the caffeine supply. And my mom, you know, after work, after I went to bed, she would stay up and make these these boxes of sandwiches. And some of the combos, you know, I didn't really like. Some of them were... Uh, So I had my favorites, you know. But it was really nice. It was like my own little space back there. Sometimes I'd sit in the front seat, but it didn't really matter where I sat. But but when I was in the back there, you know, you could have a blanket. You can kind of... And, uh... Yeah, eventually, at one point, I got this Walkman this yellow Sony Walkman listening to cassette tapes. A lot of them just recordings I made from the radio during the night. A lot of Frank Sinatra and Nat King, King Cole and stuff. I mean, as a, as a young little boy, I was kind of like an old man. <laughs> just watch, watch old movies listen to old music. I talked a lot with old people. And, uh, but you know, the rain on the roof, sometimes that was all I listened to. You know, when I was just listening to that and you, you look through the, the front window of the car and you see the wipers, kind of hypnotic, you know, wish, wish, go from side to side, just pushing away that water, you know, we're still moving. And for every drop of rain, we're, we're, we're closer, you know, to our uh, destination. Yeah, I used to love the rain, even walking in the rain or you know, against the tarp or tent when you're camping, rain falls. But when you walk in the rain, especially during summer, you know, it just feels like I don't do well in heat. So it's like a, a break. And also, a lot of the time, I don't really want a lot of people around. And most people, they don't like the rain, so... You know, more space. And after the rain, you know, the air is so fresh. And I don't know about you, but I'm allergic to pollen, my guy. So sometimes that combined with the, the heat, heat, it's just like... Kind of like... Uh, Kind of like uh, going to Ikea these days, you know, you have to wear a mask. And you're just breathing a little heavier, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> but 
yeah, the air is so fresh after the rain and the grass is greener and the sun feels nice because you went through that uh, cold rain. And you know, while it rains, bugs, they can't really fly that well, so they don't get around. They kind of crawl into their uh, hidey holes. Stay away. Especially the ones with wings can't fly, you know. But lately, I, I'm kind of over it. Because it feels like I'm on rain's time. I might be wrong. 27 point, uh, 27.9 seconds. That's, uh, back in 2012, Taku Toda, guessing he's Japanese or something. He threw a uh, oriental. Can you say that? I don't know. He threw his paper plane and it stayed in the air for, for 27.9 seconds. And that's still the world record longest airtime for a paper plane so far still is 225 feet and 10 inches or uh, 69.14 meters the same year Joe Ayub he threw a paper plane constructed by a by a John Collins and it it was the longest flight for a paper plane in distance Still is. I don't know if you've ever uh, made a paper plane. I think it's a. I think it's a. <clears throat> I think it's a pretty universal thing, though. You know, I think most people have made a paper plane. I might be wrong. It's one of those things. You know, you can make a, you can make the basic paper plane. You can get a, you can get a little bit more uh, advanced there. Just add, it. you can add some adjustable flaps to make it turn. Even do loops. You can maybe uh, twist the tip a little to make it dive like a swallow or one of those Stuka bombers. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think uh, I think most people associate with uh, children playing or something that you know it's not really that serious or important, or that most adults think that way. I think I might be wrong, but paper planes. I might be wrong about. Most people think in that way, but paper planes, it's, it's more than child's play and chasing world records, you know. Way back in the day, somewhere in ancient China or Japan or, you know, the Orient. Still don't know if I can say. Well, around the year 500 BCE, it's... um. It's generally considered, that's generally considered the time and, you know, place or places for where and when paper planes became one of those things that we do, us humans, folding paper into various shapes of various levels of, levels of difficulty, you know, origami. It can be, a, it can be an art. It can be a, a way of meditating because you're practicing that attention to detail, that focus, you know. It can be a, it can be a small business, I guess. You can make like little gifts, or you can fold cards, you know. And um, I'm guessing most of you have heard of Leonardo da Vinci. I'm a big fan. He um, he made this uh, one of his famous inventions was this ornicopter, sort of a hang glider with a, like a flappy bird hang glider. I don't think it was a, 
a great success in terms of flying. I don't know if you ever tried it, you know, but I think uh, eventually you would just fall down or something. Yeah, I remember watching this. Um, I watched this show with uh, my daughter there, Armina, called uh, Da Vinci's Demons, and in one episode, he was commissioned uh, to make soldiers fly, and he made this thing, and while it was never used in combat, he successfully demonstrated it to a potential enemy, so they stayed away, so maybe that that's what, what was all he was trying to do, you know, maybe he was just trying to uh, to avoid war. But yeah, that started with a paper, a paper model. And fast forward to the 1924 banquet in Holland. It was this, this formal dinner, this banquet for the International Union of Theoretical and Applied Mechanics. Great minds, you know, big brain fellas from uh, all over the world, and they are gathered at this dinner. And Theodore von Karman, he was one of them, uh, Hungarian-American. He's uh, regarded as the outstanding aerodynamic technician of the 20th century. Kind of a big deal, I guess. And at his table was this other guy, Ludwig. Ludwig Prantl. He was a German fluid dynamicist, a physicist, an aerospace scientist. I'm not, I'm, like I said, I'm not big on science, numbers and stuff. Not really a fan of math. But, but this guy, he has an actual number named after him, the Prantl number. Can't explain what that is, but it's kind of a big deal as well, I guess. Also at this table, sitting next to Prantl, was Theodore's sister. And in the book, The Wind and Beyond, published in 1967, Theodore recounts a moment from that dinner table. Forty-three years later, my guy, a man who has achieved so much, he even has his own banquet named after him now, you know? But still, this moment, this is something he still talks about more than four decades later because of this German guy. Kind of a big deal to him, I guess. <laughs> so what happened? Well, according to Theodore, in his own words, Prantl was also somewhat impulsive. I recall that on one occasion, at a rather dignified dinner meeting following a conference in Delft, Holland, my sister, who sat next to him at the table, asked him a question on the mechanics of flight. He started to explain. In the course of it, he picked up a paper menu and fashioned a small model airplane, without thinking where he was. It landed on the shirt front of the French Minister of Education, much to the embarrassment of my sister and others at the banquet. Forty-three years. Wow. I think we might have a new world record here, guys. Longest uh, paper plane-induced grunge or something. I stand with... Uh, I stand with Ludwig on, uh, on this one, you know, almost a century later. I got your back, Ludwig. <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess Theodore here wasn't that into paper planes, you know? I guess he uh, saw them as frivolous and childish or something. Huh. It's 1930, and uh, this dinner is probably over by now. And across the pond, in the United States, Jack Northrop, he was one of the co-founders of the Lockheed Corporation, in case you don't know, major corporation, uh, and 
played a major role in aviation and space, space flight history. And at the time, he was using paper planes in research and development for larger aircrafts. We swim back to Europe in Germany. Around the same time, designers at both uh, Heinke and Junker used paper models in order to establish basic performance and structural forms in important projects, such as, well, Heinkel was working on the HE-111. And that was a, it was a German bomber aircraft designed by Siegfried and Walter Gunter at Heinkel in 1934. And due to restrictions placed on Germany after the First World War, prohibiting them for, from, I guess, making and having bombers, it was developed, manufactured, and classified as a civil airliner. However, from conception to design, it was intended to be a fast, medium bomber for the Luftwaffe. And during World War II, it was used as a strategic bomber during the Battle of Britain, a torpedo bomber in the Atlantic as well as in the Arctic, and as a transport aircraft at the Western, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, and North African front. So uh, this wolf in sheep's clothing was at one point all paper. Imagine that. Tell me that's not serious. War. Pretty serious, my guy. I don't think children start that many wars, though. I might be wrong. And Junker designed the JU-88 in the mid-1930s as a Schnellbomber. <laughs> Literally translates to, uh, to fast bomber. The idea was it would be too fast for fighters of its era to intercept. It suffered from technical problems during its development and early operational periods, but became one of the most versatile combat aircrafts of the war, serving as a bomber, dive bomber, night fighter, torpedo bomber, recon aircraft, heavy fighter, and at the very end of the war, as a flying bomb. You know, kamikaze style, but German. And just like the Heinkel, this was also all paper at one point. Yeah, I'm not a fan of math. Even uh, less of a fan of war, you know. I used to be a fan of paper planes. And I don't hate them now. I'm not like a, not like a Theodore or anything, you know. I mean, uh, how long has it been since you made a paper plane? For me, it's been years. Years since I got that sheet of paper out and just did my best to fold it right. Because, you know, just one little mistake and it can mess up the whole thing. I never got that fancy. My, uh, my paper planes would do terrible in war, but then again, if they had developed my kind of paper planes instead of the Junker and Heinkel, Maybe it could have uh, saved some lives, you know? Not pilots' lives, though. Not German pilots, anyways. It's been years. And while I can't remember the last time I made a paper plane, I can remember a lot of paper plane-related moments. And none of them, none of those memories are bad memories. Back in elementary school, I, uh, I asked this girl, she wanted to go steady. I threw a, and the teacher had her back turned there. I threw a paper plane across the room and it landed perfectly on her desk. Good stuff. When I, when I, when I fold a paper plane, it kind of does that thing. 
the sound of rain used to do for me. Kind of, kind of cancels out the noise, you know. Kind of a meditation, I guess, even if I'm not that great at it. Even if, even if I somehow mess up, you know, just a little, still gives me that focus, that peace. And I, I just do my best. And after all, it's just a paper plane. Nobody's dying. But the paper plane is flying, even if it's just for a couple of seconds. And uh, when I throw a paper plane, again, far from an expert, I really don't know what I'm doing. Not, I'm not going to break any world records, you know. But I try, and it flies. And when it flies, time kind of stops, even if it is for just a few seconds, even if it lands on the wrong desks, or even if she says no. There's this moment, you know. Bombs could be falling from the sky, and I'm just over here just watching this paper plane just uh, just fly, you know. And yeah, the rain will stop bugs from flying, especially those with wings, including those that sting. I don't know much, much about, much about anything, really. I know you can't beat world records with paper planes in the rain. I know you can't fold paper planes out of wet paper. I know you'd have to fold and fly the paper plane like uh, inside, somewhere dry and kind of spacious. I guess I just feel like no matter where I go these days, there's water on my paper plane, so I don't even try. I'm probably not the first to say this, but if I'm not, I have no idea who did. But when you stop trying is when you start dying. Rain is not the problem. Rain is just, uh, it's just nature doing nature, you know? And um, I know something else, guys. I know it's time to get that piece of paper. In fact, I'm about to do that right now. I'm doing it, guys. I don't know what, what kind of uh, what kind of paper plane do you usually make, or did you like what did you use to do? I remember there were like two major types of planes. One was the long one, like you know what I consider to be like the, the the normal paper plane where you just do like what I'm doing now. You just, uh, you just fold it. Take, uh, make sure the corners meet because then usually, you know, the, the fold would be at the middle there. And uh, just fold it uh, well, if it's the, what do you call that, A4 format, you know, the, the normal, most standard dimension of paper out there, I guess. Interesting stuff, huh? But yeah, you fold it there in the middle on the, on the long, along the longest, uh, longest part, the, the long side. I'm great at I'm great at explaining these things, huh? And I remember the the other one, it it's kind of wide and short. It's kind of more of a an acrobatic type situation. And uh I think those those guys they thought they were uh, a little bit more fancy. And so you take uh, 
you go to the short end now and you take one corner and you fold it in towards the middle, forming, uh, you know, making that, turning that corner into a, like a diagonal edge of short. Now you have a one, two, three, four. Now you have a, a five-sided surface. It's not a pentagram. I messed up a little. I have to redo it. Because you fold it towards and into the crease in the middle. You can do it with me, guys. I'm not fast. And then, then you do the other side. You go, you go on the left side. Just try, try to do your best to make sure they're symmetrical, you know? Same, same. Now, you should have an arrow-like arrow -like, uh, shape in front of you, like a wide arrow tip. And, um, you know, broad-tipped broad arrows, they, uh, they'll mess you up, dude. But they don't go as far as the narrower ones. So aerodynamics 101 here with Mr. Froth, the national expert Expert so far, the only one. <laughs> and so uh, you take, you take uh, one of those sides. I usually go right, left when I do this. And you just, you just make it pointier in a way. So you, you, you take the same, you take the corner there and you just fold it into the middle and you just make sure everything is straight all the way down. And you just take your finger there and just run it along the edges. And that will sort of solid solidify this uh, position of this uh, future wing. And you do the same on the other side. Again, trying to do your best. Just, uh, well, this paper was a little bit wrinkly. It's probably a better idea to, to use, you know, a fresh sheet of paper. And uh, also, you know, this is just standard print paper, so you can get thicker paper for, you know, probably more, more solid aircrafts and stability and... Uh, then again, weight, you know, might affect the distance traveled. And so now you've done that, you have a pointier arrow with still pretty wide base. And so what you want to do is repeat the process again, my guy. So you take, uh, I again, I go right to left, take a, you fold. Fold it again towards the middle. <laughs> Haven't done this in years. And you repeat on the other side. Just putting the edges together here in an attempt of making this symmetrical, well-balanced paper aircraft. Okay, now comes the twist, because you literally, you're going to turn it around. Now you have a pointy, uh, kind of looks like a, a party hat. Now, now you have that, or <laughs> actually, <laughs> now that I look, about, look on it, it looks like a one of those hoods, you know, the KKK wear. Pretty much exactly what it looks like. And now I'm, I'm turning it around. So I have this, because on the bottom there, we're, we've been working at the bottom, guys. Um, you have this crease, right, this opening in the middle. But on the other side is one surface. And so what you want to do is turn it around to that solid surface area, and then you take those edges on the base there, uh, you run your fingers along 
uh, your uh, project here and uh, just just try to smoothen it out I guess that's what I do and then you take uh, you take the the bottom tip and actually now I'm going to go left to right and you just fold it so it meets the other tip and so and then you run your fingers along the crease the new form newly formed crease and the old ones underneath and now you have well you have to lift it up and kind of like fold out the wings now you have like a kind of like a looks like a fighter jet you know kind of now you have that sha uh, shape and so now I would say I kind of made a paper plane already like I said if you want to you can take uh, Oh, you can do it by hand. You can just tear off. You could just tear off a little there at the end. Uh, like if you if you hold it up in front of you, that will be like in the in the bottom. At the, at the tail, you can uh, you can make these. You can te tear out a little piece or like cut two slits into each wing, so you can fold up a little piece or fold down. That will be the f flaps. And if you have, um, you know, depending on if you raise raise it or lower it on one side, it will go up or down in the opposite direction. If you do both, it just goes up and down. Yeah. Well, that can be cool, you know? If that's what you want to do. And I remember those other, those... Uh, those thick ones, those um, the the other type, the fancy type, you know, they used to do. Uh, they were better at doing loops and stuff, and sometimes, sometimes they would fly longer because their wing is bigger, I guess. So kind of carries more air or something. I don't know how that works. Not big on that science stuff, really. So yeah. So yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it. I mean, I was explaining it to you, but I was just doing this, you know. It's been years. But yeah, okay. So um, so I guess um, the first aircraft in Frothland's history has officially been manufactured by none other than your humble servant and magnificent leader, yours truly, Mr. Froth. That's me, my guy. So I'm going to take off my headset because I have to get my phone because even though I hate numbers, I figured, you know, it's been years and it's the first time ever in Frothland that this happens. So we got to get some numbers here. We got, we got to measure the, the time and the distance. And I can do that on my phone now. Kind of cool technology sometimes. You know, you can use it for stuff. If only I can find out where... Oh, there you have the clock and the stopwatch. So this might affect the performance of the aircraft because I am also timing it. So I have to... It will probably not, you know, be... Uh, it's not Mythbusters accurate, but this is what we got, guys. The research funds here in Frostland, you know, it's not that much. It basically, I didn't even buy that piece of paper. It was a letter I didn't even want. So, okay, I'm removing my headset, guys. And uh, my audio levels might drop a little bit, but I'll try and speak a little bit louder. I have to step away a little bit. That's just the sound of the airplane, unlocking the phone, getting the timer ready. I have the airplane here, the paper plane, have it in my right hand. I'm not going to go for force, I don't think. I'm going to go for uh, 
I'm just going to throw it. I'm not going to think about it. And I'm going to press start as soon as I feel the aircraft leaving my hands. All right, launch in a test flight, first test flight of Frothland Air and Space Agency or something in 10 minus 10 seconds, guys. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, I, uh, I forgot to press the timer. So, so that was a test test flight. kind of flew. Let's see. All right. Again, 10 minus 10 seconds, guys. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lift off. Time. Um, probably put the pop filter back on. All right, so I have the time here. Two point thirty five seconds. Not a world record, you know, but it is a record here in Frothland is a is a national record. So so I'm a record holder now. That's kind of cool. Now for the distance. From the edge, the very tip of my yoga mat, and um, as it was flying, it uh, it did hit uh, the kitchen cupboard. And uh, if the cupboard hadn't been there, if we had been able to do this outside or something, or maybe had a bigger space, might have gone farther, for longer. Who knows? But yeah using this uh, tool, utilities. It's called Measure. All right. Just, uh, just a little, uh, let me see. Okay. And so, yoga mat to the nose of the aircraft and we got okay we got the number guys that was five point no where did it go that was uh uh, five, I, I apparently I have to point the phone at the place. It was 5.98 meters uh, or 235 inches, guys. Again, not a world record, but a national one here in Frothland. So, yeah. Also, time since I last made and tried an airplane, a paper plane, I mean, just moments ago. No casualties. Just a, just a guy in his 40s and a, and a, and a, you know, just a guy in his 40s on a paper plane on a rainy day. Have you ever, uh, have you ever wondered what dreams are made of? You know, sometimes I think it's just paper. I think that's how this all started, you know? Some uh, Chinese or Japanese, just an Oriental. I don't know if I can say that. But the Oriental Express, you know? I think Oriental is a, is a good word. 
It shouldn't be a bad thing. But anyways, some Chinese or Japanese guy just, he was just dreaming of flying, you know. And I, I don't think he was the first guy to ever dream of that. I think that's, you know, ever, ever since a human saw a bird or a butterfly or something, probably, it probably was something beautiful, something non-threatening because, you know, early man, geez, I think the world is scary now. Try waking up... Uh, Back in those days, we got tigers now. They had saber-toothed tigers, you know. So, so yeah. Just, uh, I, th I think man has, or woman, men, no, how do you say it? He, she, what's that new word? Can't remember. Pronouns. Anyways, a human pronoun probably dreamt of flying before making fire was uh, one of those things it did, I think. But, but whoever this was kind of took the first, at least one, step towards making that dream a reality and... Uh, and someone, when he stopped doing that, so, someone picked up where he left off. And, and this kind of just continued. And you know what? One day, there might just be a paper plane flying in space. No rain in outer space, you know. Because in, uh, in 2008, a prototype passed a durability test in the wind tunnel and the Japanese space agency were close to planning a launch from the International Space Station. And if you remember from the beginning, Takuo Toda, the world record holder for the longest airtime of a paper plane, 27.9 seconds? I mean, who knows if that plane was launched in space, it might just still be flying. <laughs> That's an amazing thought. Just a, just a paper plane just flying forever. Anyways, Takuo Toda was actually one of these, these guys, and he teamed up with Shinji Suzuki, a professor at uh, Tokyo University there to to make this dream a reality. But they ended up po postponing, not canceling, but postponing the attempt after acknowledging it will be all but impossible to track them during the plane's week-long journey to Earth. A week. What's that in seconds? I'm not going to look that up even. It's a lot of seconds. A lot of numbers, guys. Way more than 27.9 seconds. A week-long journey to Earth. Assuming any of them survived the searing descent. But just like back in the day when that guy in ancient China or something, for whatever reason, probably death, stopped making his paper planes someone else picked this up and continued working on it. And in February 2011, nine years ago, back in Germany, 200 paper planes were launched from a net underneath a weather balloon 23 miles or 37 kilometers above ground. They were designed to maintain stable flight even in gusts up to 100 miles per hour. Wow. The, the paper planes were also equipped with memory chips from which data can be uploaded. And they were also trackable. And the planes that survived were found in other places in Europe, 
North America, and even Australia, guys. And Australia is 14,457 kilometers or 8,983 miles away from Germany. Kind of far. Kind of a big deal, I guess. A paper plane, I mean. Potentially. And I don't know if there was any rain that day. You know, if there was, maybe it got to some of those 200. Maybe the, uh, the other ones, the maybe, maybe they just, got, they just got lucky, you know? Then again, the earth is what? The surface, I mean, is, uh, what is it, like, uh, like 70% water? I don't know how likely it is on average that it rains, you know, like anywhere on Earth. Any time of year, it could, I guess it could potentially rain anywhere, anytime. And everywhere on Earth, at pretty much all times, they record weather data, you know, including rainfall. Anything from people like uh, Mr. Singh's father to scientists. So there's probably people out there with with a number, you know, like the odds. But I'll just stick to the surface area for now. You know the game, the floor is lava? So I'm thinking kind of like that, except you're in a room, like an indoor swimming pool type situation there. And you have, uh, you have like 200 paper planes. And the swimming pool makes out 70% of the floor. And you're just there. You know, this put a, you put a blindfold on you and someone spins you around a little bit and you just, you just flow, you're just throwing 200 paper planes into the room. Might just be a waste of time. But you know what? To me, if you do that and it feels to you like you're closer to some sort of peace, or you're closer to living out a dream, I'm with you, my guy. Just, just don't fall into the pool and drown in the process, you know? <laughs> just don't. <laughs> but even if you did, you know, at least you died trying. <laughs> and, uh, Drowning caused by a paper plane, definitely, you know, you get some points of, you get some points for originality there. You might get uh, one of those Darwin Awards. Heard about those? It's even a movie, great movie. Love it. Highly recommend, but there's, there's a movie called The Darwin Awards. Because this is an award you can only get after you die. And especially if you die in, like, very dumb or <laughs> ironic way, like, um, like the, I think he was the CEO or inventor of, you know, the Segway thing you, uh, you stand on and you could just drive around. Well, he died driving that thing off a cliff. Guess the brakes didn't work or something, you know? Maybe he was just having a Thelma and Louise moment. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he just, maybe he was just dreaming of flying. I think it's safer to make a paper plane, though, <laughs> even if there's a pool around. Yeah, I didn't die trying, but I did it, guys. And I shared it with you. First paper plane in years. First ever in Frothland. And my paper plane is definitely not ever going to space. And I didn't die trying, like I said, but doing this kind of brought me back to life a little. Kind of put a smile on my face, you know? Good stuff. Oh, uh, 
And by the way, I don't have a catchphrase. What do we know? I have a paper plane, though. What are we not supposed to know? Not supposed to know. Roar, you hear us. Roar, you roar, you hear us. Roar, you hear us. The ruler of Frockland. Yeah, I'm leaving the building now. I'm going for my run in the rain. So, yeah, that's it. Um, there's this uh, episode with uh, with Pirate that I know some of you have been waiting on. It's coming. It's coming. Kind of had to make this paper plane first. I think. I think that's it's part of it, you know? I do other stuff as well. I don't just sit here. I don't just sit here doing a podcast, you know? But I glad, I'm glad I do sometimes. I'm glad, you know, that, that someone is listening sometimes. And I uh, just want to thank you for that. Again, take care, my guy. Oh, and by the way, I don't have a catchphrase. Still, still don't.